We're talking about getting ready for his return. And in Luke 18, verse 8, it says that when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? So I'm not going to go back over all the things that we've talked about before. But one of the things that we need to do in order to be ready is to make sure that we're walking in faith. Faith in God, and we'll see what else we need to be in faith about. But faith is critical. It's not just a trend. It's not just a, the name of a church. It's not just the name of a movement. The Bible says it is, it is a critical component of our walk with God. And you'll see again today why that is, is so important. Father, we pray again. We thank you that your anointing is upon this word, and we ask you again to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to grasp and understand what you would say to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, chapter, I told you to turn to chapter 11. But that was in part so you could find the end of chapter 10. <laughs> We've looked at this before, but one of the, th- one of the reasons faith is, faith is so important to us, first of all, you receive everything from God by faith. Faith is our part. Grace is God's part. Ephesians 2.8 says that we are saved by grace through faith. So grace is God's side. It's God's attitude towards us. It's God's giving us something that we don't deserve and not giving us what we do deserve. It's much more than that, but that's the simple definition of it. But it's received by faith. Just because God's been gracious towards you and forgiven you doesn't mean you've automatically yours. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. That's everybody that's ever lived. So that whosoever should believe in Him. So God's offered His Son to everybody, but it's only those that choose to believe in Him that receive eternal life. So the receiving part is our choice and it's done by faith. So we receive our salvation by faith, that gift of grace. We receive everything else that God has for us by faith, whether it's healing, whether it's provision, whatever it is. It's given by way of a promise of God that we then receive by way of faith. But what we've been looking at is there's a greater, higher purpose for that. We need to walk in those things and learn those things. But if that's all you ever do, it's wonderful that God will take care of you. It's wonderful that God forgives you. But there's a higher calling that's a much more important purpose for that faith that we need to develop. And most people don't hear much about this, so they don't pursue it and learn about it. And yet it's exactly what the Scriptures say we're supposed to do. So we saw in Hebrews 10... And we're not going to go back and go back over it. But back in in verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart, sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil consciousness or a consciousness of evil, and our bodies washed with pure water. So the first thing we saw after being saved by faith is that faith has been given to us so that we can draw near to a holy God. Remember what faith is, and we'll see the definition again in a minute. Faith is basically believing what God says regardless of what you see. We spend 99% of our life basing what we believe on what our senses tell us. Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. After Jesus was raised from the dead, the other disciples had seen him, but Thomas wasn't there when he showed up the first time. And so the disciples say to Thomas, you know, the Master's risen. And he says to them, I won't believe that unless I see him, unless I touch, put my fingers in the holes in his hands. And right after that, Jesus appears. (laughs) But Jesus is so gracious to him. He says, Thomas, come here. Touch my hands. Put your hand on my side. See, Jesus met him where he was. Jesus will meet you where you are, but he doesn't want to leave you where you are. So if you've been at this 30-some years and you're still saying, I need to touch him and I need to... Then he's going to challenge you to grow. Grow in your faith. So some of the things that you're going through right now, God may not have brought them across your path, but he wants to use them so that you can grow in your trust and faith in him. And then we... So what faith is, is, is believing not what my senses tell me, but what God says when my senses contradict that. Now, when it comes to driving home and doing the natural things of life, you need to depend upon your senses. But when it comes to the things of God, the things that God has said and promised us, the things that God requires of us, when it comes to God's Word, we can't do the same thing. We can't base what we're going to do and what we believe on what we see, feel, hear, touch, or taste. We've got to base it on what God says, and they almost always oppose each other. And we looked at the story of Father Abraham that God appeared to. And God said this was a man who was 75 years old, his wife was 65 years old, and she was barren. She could not have children. And they were both past childbearing age. 
And he cries out to God when God entered into a covenant with him. And he says, what will you give me? Seeing that I'm childless in the heir of my household as Eleazar, is a servant in my household. And God says, says, I'm going to shorten it down. Basically, as for me, I've made you a father of many nations. So Abraham's asking God for a child, and God says, I've made you a father of many nations. And Abraham had a struggle with that for a while. But about 24 years later, Abraham it finally clicked, and he believed what God's promise. Romans 4 says that, that as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. That's God's promise. Father of many nations have I made you according to him whom he believed, even God who raises the dead and calls things into existence that never existed before. That's the God he believed in. Is that the God you believe in? A God that can raise the dead? And beyond that can call things into existence that never existed before? That's the God that made the promise to him. That's the God that's made promises to you. Then it says, in hope against hope, he believed. So in hope, confident expectation, against all natural reason to hope, he still believed. He believed, and this is the crucial part, he believed in order that he might become. So the order in God's kingdom is you've got to believe his word first, and then his word works for you. We want to see it work first, and then believe it. That's the Thomas kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that says, if I see it and I touch it, then I'll believe it's real. But the faith that God requires is a faith that believes it just because God said so. And if you believe it because God says so, then it becomes so in your life. See, from God's side, now again, you've got to start with a promise God's made. So that's your job to get into that book and find out what promises God has made to you. But if God's made a promise, it's yours. From God's side, He's done it. Now it's up to you whether you receive it or not. And that's why man's developed this doctrine, you know, well, you know, I guess it must not be God's will. That takes all the responsibility off of me. And say, well, whatever happens in my life, that must be what God wants. But that's not what the Word of God says. Mark eleven twenty three says, Whatsoever things you for, whatsoever things you desire, when you whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. There's that order again. You've got to believe it first and then you receive it. And Abraham finally discovered that. Because one of the last times God's reiterated this promise to him, he laughed. And then his wife laughed at God's promise. Now, we might not laugh outside, but every time you read that word and see a promise God's made to you and you dismiss it, in essence, that's laughing at God's promise. Saying, nah, that won't work for me. I know it works for preachers. I know it works for other people, but it won't work for me. That's very much like what they did. They laughed at it. But God didn't get angry at them. He said, when I come back this time next year, I'm going to hear the cry of a child. And goes on to say, and without becoming weak in faith. Some translations say he considered his own body, and others say he considered not his own body. But really they're saying the same thing. He considered his own body being, being 100 years old and near the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, being fully persuaded that what God promised, he was fully able to perform. That's the key. Do you believe God's fully able to perform that promise in your life? In your life? Well, the proof of that, whether you really believe that, is what you do and what you say. So that's what we're looking at. We're seeing why this is so important, because that's really what faith is. Taking God at His word and basing what I believe and what I do on what God says and not what my senses say. We looked over towards the end of chapter 10 and we saw that in verse 35 he says, Don't cast away your confidence which has a great reward because they were being tempted to give up, to quit. This is another reason why faith is so important. Without faith you won't finish your course with joy under pressure. 
Oh, if everything goes well. It's really easy to trust God when it's 75 degrees out. All your bills are paid. Your kids are climbing in your lap. Your grandkids are around you saying, Oh, blessed are you, Father. It's so wonderful. And everything is just going well at work. They rise up and call you blessed when you walk in. You know, you, people just, you know, the, it's, everything's, it's easy to trust God then. I mean, when I first got saved, I was a lawyer in a large firm in Boston. And early on, I made the decision God was my source, but that was pretty easy to do when I made two and a half times what I spent each year. It was another thing when a year later, I had no income. Living halfway, you know, 1,600 miles away from home, and I didn't know anybody. But you know what? God still took care of me. I learned more through the lean times of how faithful God is than I did through the times when I had the money flowing in and everything was going easy. And so they were being tempted to pull back and to quit because they were under pressure. The verses earlier in this, he says, don't you remember when they took your goods from you and they were persecuting the church. They took your goods from you and you joyfully joyfully went through that? I mean, the joyfully, it's one thing to go through it because they had a choice. I mean, they didn't ask permission to take their goods away from them. They just took them away by force. But how you handle that, the attitude of your heart when things don't go the way you want them to go is critical. There's an old message I heard by a preacher a long time ago says, don't let the devil steal your joy. Don't let the devil steal your joy. The Bible says to rejoice when things go wrong. James 1 says, in essence, throw a party. Have a count it all joy, my brethren. When you fall into difficult times, basically is what it says. Count it all. That means you've got to choose to count it that way. So they were joyful and he reminded them of that because now they were being tested again, being tested to quit and to give up. And what he calls them back to is their faith. Because it's your faith in God that will bring you through whatever tests and trials are still in front of you. So we need to use the time we're in right now to make sure that we're strengthening and developing our faith so that whatever lies in front of us, we are not moved away and we are not overcome by it, but instead we come victorious because Jesus is coming back for a victorious, triumphant church. In the book of Revelation, it says He's looking for those who overcome. Those who overcome. And that tells me right away there's something we're going to have to overcome. But we overcome it by our faith. All right. Because he ends up this chapter by saying, verse 37, Yet a little while he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Not just get saved by faith, but live by faith. And if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So last week we saw you have to continue to believe. It doesn't mean you can't waver some because Abraham wavered some. I'm not talking about that. But you can't just give it up and walk away. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, chapter 11, evidence of th- not things, by it, by, it's not seen by it, the elders received a good testimony. And that's what the rest of this chapter is about. By faith we under... Oh, this is neat. I've been, I've, been, I, I've been in this book, this chapter for 30 years. And in the last week or so, I've seen things in there I have never seen before. It's a living word, and I believe God's revealing things, to me at least, in here that I need to see for me and, and to lead you. This, has, this is just so neat. This may not excite you. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen, with our, detected with our natural senses, were not made out of things that were visible. A month or so ago, I was watching a, a documentary on PBS, which was uh, going through Einstein's theory of relativity and light and all these things, you know. And the big thing is, you know, what, where did it all come from? So they got the Big Bang theory, which is things just, there was an explosion, and everything we have now is a result of that explosion somehow. 
And I'm, I was meditating on this verse and suddenly it hit me why they don't know and never will know. God has the answer here. Verse 3. By faith, we understand. By faith, we understand. Not by microscopes, not by telescopes. Microscopes and telescopes help you see things. By faith, we understand that the worlds, the universe was framed by the Word of God. So that we know that the things which are seen, that's with the microscope and the telescopes. The, all the scientists have to rely on is what ultimately comes into their senses. And this verse is saying that the things, the information that comes into your senses can't tell you where this came from because it didn't come from things which are seen, but from things which are not seen. Now, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, For the things that are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things that are not seen, they're things, they exist, but they're not detected by our senses. That's the spirit realm, is eternal. That's the realm God lives in. What this verse is saying is, I don't care how good your microscopes are and your telescopes and how many satellites you send out there, all they're going to do is bring back data that your senses and your mind interpret, but the only way you're going to know where this, how this was framed was by faith. By faith, we understand that the world... So man's trying to understand how the worlds were framed with his noodle with this computer on his head. It's not capable of understanding these things. It's capable of all kinds of things, but man's trying to use it outside the parameters of what God designed it for. The human mind is not capable on its own of understanding God. So the only way we can understand Him is by Faith, which is believing what he says about himself, that my mind and my senses can't see and figure out on their own. Are you following me? Yes. All right, well, that's just a little sidetrack. That got me excited when I saw that. Let's go down to um, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. There's enough reason right there to grow in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him for or because he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. How many of you believe He is? All right. That's a good beginning. But it's not that simple in the sense of, it's not, well, I believe, some believe He is and some don't believe He is. There's degrees of His being to you. There's degrees of how real He is to you. See, your body is made up of the substance of this earth. It's material. It's natural. That's why the Bible says it came from dust and it's going to return to dust. And it's in that process right now. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, For, for this momentary light affliction is earning for us an eternal weight of glory. For we, while we look not at the things that are seen, that the things are not seen. He's talking about what he went through in his body. He said, this body is decaying. For while the outer man is decaying, and you can stand there as much as you want and make all the confessions over your body you want, but it doesn't look the same way it did 10 years ago. Unless you've had some work done on it. (laughs) But you're going to have to keep having work done on it. (laughs) But the inner man... The spirit man, the real you, is being renewed or strengthened day by day. So what he's encouraging us is to not spend our time focused so much on the outer man, but because that's just temporary, but to focus on the inner man who is eternal and is a spirit being. But it requires faith to do that because you can't see the inside man. You can see, touch, smell, taste the outside man. 
And so that's what he's talking about here. So the spirit realm is much more real than the natural material realm. But that's the realm God lives in. So in order to come to God, you must really believe He's there. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you had this question run through your mind when you're praying? Is anybody listening? Am I just talking to myself? Am I just here and, and it's just... Am I, am I just doing this to feel better? Have you ever had that thought? That means you were questioning, and it's okay, how real God was. Or is he, there, is he going to reward my prayers, answer my prayers? And so the proof of how real he is to us and the proof of how much we truly believe he hears and answers you and does what you ask him to do is what you do when you get in a difficult situation. What's your first reaction when you get bad news? What's the very first thought that runs through your mind? Is it to get on your knees and cry out to God because you've got confidence He's in the middle of this situation? Or is that the last thing you do? It's interesting to listen to people talk, including myself. When you hear what they're going through and how they'll say things like, well, you know, all, all we could really do is pray. All that's left to do is pray. Shouldn't that have been the first thing? That means I've exhausted everything I know to do. They didn't work. Now is a last resort. Here's what we got. We're left with this alternative. We've got to pray. I wonder what that sounds like to God. I've probably read Charles Finney's biography six or eight times. And early on, before he was a Christian, he would attend prayer meetings in his church. And he finally gave up because they asked him at one point, are you going to pray? He says, why should I pray? He says, you don't believe your prayers are going to get answered. He said, what do you mean? Because I hear you ask the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. So you don't expect that God heard you the first time. See, we, we, again, if I ask you, is God real? Does God hear us? Oh, Yes. But what do you really believe down inside? It's not that you disbelieve Him. It's different degrees of reality. But your words and our actions and our thoughts reveal what we really believe. So, well, the good news is Hebrews 11 is full of people like you and me that were growing in it. So let's look on. So without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. talks about Noah, who was divinely warned. That means he heard a promise from God of things not yet seen. So he was told, build an ark, it's going to rain. If you study your Bible, you'll find out it had never rained yet. Moved with godly fear or faith, in other words, he prepared an ark. He acted on what he believed. This is what I saw this morning, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. So here God calls him. If you go back into Genesis, you see the story. God speaks to a man named Abram. It wasn't Abraham yet, it was still Abram. He was living in a city called Ur. You are in Chaldea, which was Babylon, old Babylon, which is around where Iran is today. And, and, and this was a nation that worshipped the moon. And God speaks to him and tells him to leave his family and leave his home and go to a land God will show him when he gets there. Now imagine what that conversation was like when he went home. Because God didn't speak to his wife. And says, dear, we're going to move. Oh, great. We get that big house I've been looking at down the corner. No. We're going to move away from home. Where are we going? I don't know yet. Why are we doing this? God spoke to me. Her first instinct is to look at the moon. The moon never talked before unless he was 
drinking things he shouldn't have been drinking. Okay, where are we going? I don't know. It's when he tells me to stop, we're stopping. And explain that one to your wife. But he did it anyway. Now notice what happens. So he didn't know God before. God takes him out of that land and moves them to another land. Now interesting, he didn't fully listen to God because he brought his family with him for a part of the way. God told him to leave his family there. But he brought his family with him for a while and then he had to leave them finally and obey what God told him to do. Okay. Some of you have had to make choices for God that have had the effect as if you've left your family. But when you put God first, you will always, God will always end up putting you first. All right, now notice this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place for which where we, she was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. That took faith. He heard God say, Leave this place and I will take you to a place that you haven't seen yet. So he acted on what God said, no matter what he could see or couldn't see, or hear or didn't hear. All right. These are examples of faith. Look at verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promises, as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs with him of the same promises. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now go over to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar, and were assured of them, having embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they're seeking a homeland, and truly if they'd called to mind the country from which they come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Now, I want to show you a contrast here, which I'd never seen in here before. Look over now in verse 9. By faith, He dwelt in the land of promises as in a foreign country. So He was taken from His home by God and put into a foreign country that God had assigned Him to be in. In that foreign country... They dwelt in tents. Not, and I don't know why. I guess this is what I kind of was thinking of, but I, I would have known that wasn't so. They didn't live in tents temporarily. God didn't say, now go dwell in tents until you've had a chance to build yourself a permanent home. They lived in tents their whole time in the promised land. You got that in mind? Now think of what a tent is. It's got cloth or canvas or material walls that are flexible. It has no foundation. The foundation is the ground. In a strong storm, it can be blown over. It's portable. It can be picked up and moved. It's a temporary shelter. But God called them to live in a temporary shelter the whole time that they were in the promised land. Got that? Yes. All right. Got that picture. Now, let's go over to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Now, I used to struggle with that. I say, wait a minute. Because if you look in verse 10 and 11 and 12, you'll see that they believed God for a child and God gave it to them. So they did get their promise answered. The promise was answered. But it's talking about a greater promise. And that's what we're talking about here. He's not talking about receiving Isaac from God. They received Isaac. But there's a greater promise that God had for them that they had not received the fulfillment of while they were still living in those tents. And they all died in faith. By the way, it's a good way to die. You don't want to die out of faith. Remember, Jesus is coming back. He's saying, will I find faith? You want to die... I may, I may do this at some point this year. I've said this before. Christians need to learn how to die. I wonder what kind of crowd that would bring if we have a learning to die crusade. <laughs> I, I've, got a, I, I've got a newsflash for you. 
It's going to happen. It's going to happen unless Jesus comes back first. But you're not staying where you are forever. You're not going to be in that house forever. You're not going to be here in this church forever. Why do we try to hold on to things so tightly that we know we're not going to have forever and spend so little time invested in what we are going to have forever? These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them with the eye of faith from afar off and were assured of them. And that's what God wants us to be, assured of these promises to the point that nothing moves us. And they embraced them. That means they received them. And confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's who we are. We just don't understand it. For those who say such things declare plainly that they're seeking a homeland. So what he's saying here is just as Abraham was called to leave his home and go to a land that God assigned him, Abraham by faith understood that that was not his home. And the sign or indication of it is God never gave him a permanent building to dwell in. As a reminder that it was temporary, but while Abraham was living in that temporary tent, which he could touch, which he could feel, which he could see, his confidence for his future was that God had prepared for him a home in heaven that he could not touch with his hands, that he could not see with these eyes, but he saw with the eye of faith, and that that home in the heavens was not a temporary dwelling with a tent. But look at what it is. Verse 15. For truly if they've called to mind the country from which they come out, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Oh, verse 10. Go back to verse 10. That's what I was looking for. But Abraham waited. He was living in tents. No foundation but the dirt. Verse 10. But he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He went through what he went through. Dealt with what he dealt with. Because his trust and his security and his confidence wasn't in his tent. It wasn't in what he had here in this realm. But his eyes, his focus, his hope, his confidence is that God had prepared a dwelling for him. God had prepared a home for him. God had prepared a city for him that does have foundations. So the contrast here is between a tent which has no foundation, no stability, no permanency, that has walls that are, that are, that are flimsy, that walls that although they provide a temporary shelter, they do not provide a safe, secure protection. So he lived in that temporary shelter with his eye on the permanent shelter, the permanent dwelling that God had for him. Therefore he could endure whatever he had to endure because this tent was not his home. So if God says move, he could move it. Because it was not his security. Okay, good. Wow, really good. You ready? Uh, go with me to Second Corinthians chapter five. Oh. <laughs> you may not get excited, but I'm telling you. Well, actually, let's go again to the end of chapter 4. 
Paul going through an experience. Start in verse 8. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed. That means he was confused about what was happening to him, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body also. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. In other words, Paul is saying, I've gone through persecution and tribulation so that I could bring the gospel to you for God to bring life to you. And this is how he could do it. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we speak. So now he's going to tell you how he could do this based on what he believed and what he spoke. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord will also raise up... Which, will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause the thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, because that's our focus, because we know God will raise us up, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, that's the body, the natural thing that he could see. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. He's telling you where his focus is when he lives his life. Yes, he knows he's got a body. Yes, he knows he has to wash it, shave it, whatever he had to do with it. But his focus, his security, his sense of well-being was not on that. That body was a tool that God gave him to function in this earth, but it's not who he was. It's not where his security was. His confidence was not in his body and how well it was performing. He needed it to get from one place to another. But it was just a tool You're going to see how in a minute. For even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man, the real me, is being renewed, getting strengthened day by day. For this light affliction, the persecution he was going through, but for a moment is working for us a far more and exceeding weight of glory. Here is a contrast. He's contrasting this persecution he was going through, and he's saying, I know it it may feel terrible what you're going through right now, but in light of what I'm talking about, it's light and temporary. For it's yielding for me a far exceeding weight. So it's the contrast of this light affliction. Now, I'm sure it didn't feel light when he was going through it, but he's renewing his mind. He's changing how he looks at it. He's not looking at, woe is me, why do I have to go through this? Why have I been beaten? Why am I in prison? Why am I going through this? He's not looking at what's happening to me. He's looking at this in terms of eternity, what this means in terms of eternity, because he's being faithful to run his course and complete what he was assigned to do. And if it took him through jail, he was willing to go through jail with a good attitude. Because if this is what I've got to go through, then it's earning for me something. In comparison to what I've earned, this is earning for me, this persecution's light, and it's temporary. Now, if what you're going through right now seems like it's the weight of the world on your shoulders, rejoice. Because if that's, if that's that heavy to you now, imagine how heavy and weighty and of sub- substance the glory that God has for you is. It's a weight of a scales. See, it's so heavy to us because we spend all our time thinking about it, going through it, talking about it, worshiping it, working our way through it. It's our senses are filled up with this. But Paul's senses weren't filled up with what he was going through. Paul's senses were filled up with where he was going. Oh, he was aware of the stripes and the beatings and, and and the sores and the scars on his back. He was aware of the stocks that he was in in Philippi. He was aware of those things, but they didn't move him. Why? Because they were earning for him a far exceeding weightier glory that it was going to come. But you can only see that by faith. 
Just knowing it's in your Bible, when you're suddenly in a difficult situation, that all, what's just floating around in your mind, it fades away with the reality of what your senses are telling you. But if you renew your mind, if you build the Word of God in you, if you grow and develop in faith, then what happens is when that pressure comes, what you put in you is what will come out of you. Ready for this? <laughs> and this is how he could do it. For we look not at the things that are seen. He's talking about his body. Anything that your senses can detect. So whatever you're going through right now, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, all of those things are coming to you through your senses. And he's not saying ignore them. He's saying don't base your future and your well-being and your security on what your senses are showing you is real. For while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. So he's saying we don't, the looking that we're doing is not with these eyes or with these ears, it is with the heart. I'm not relying on the things that are seen. I'm not basing my security, my well-being, my future, my hope. I'm not basing who I am on anything that I can see, hear, touch, feel, or taste. But instead, I'm basing my well-being, my security, my future, my confidence, who I am, on things that I cannot see with my eyes, cannot hear with my ears, cannot touch, or cannot taste. It is the Word of God that I'm basing my life on. What God has said, what God has promised... That's what my security is in. Now to do that and feel secure, you have to exercise your faith. Because faith is the substance of things not seen. See, if you can see something like Thomas, he could touch Jesus, so he had substance to to Thomas. He could believe that Jesus was raised from the dead because his senses gave Thomas a sense of substance that Jesus was real. Thomas needed to see Jesus to believe in him to have confidence that he was there. But Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who don't see me and still believe I'm real. That's our opportunity. Blessed are those who don't see me with their senses and yet still believe that I'm real and I'm there. Good when God blesses you. You ready? We haven't gotten to the good part yet. So here's the foundation. So we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. Say temporary. They're short-lived. Subject to change. I mentioned a few minutes ago, If this morning you look in a mirror and then you pick up an old picture of you, you'll see that your body's subject to change. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, those are the things we have confidence in by faith, because faith is the substance of things not seen. Something to hope for, the evidence of things not seen. Thomas needed to touch Jesus to have evidence that he was real. Faith allows me to have the same confidence he's real without touching it with my hand because I believe it in my heart. It allows me to have that same level of confidence that he's real, the same level of confidence that heaven's real, the same level of confidence that God has prepared for me a dwelling. God has a place of this exceeding weight of glory. I don't have to see it with these eyes. I don't have to touch it with these hands. It becomes more real to me in here. In fact, you can grow to a place in faith that the spirit realm becomes more real to you in ear than anything you see with your eyes. In fact, we're to grow to that level. All right, you got all that? Now remember what we just read about Abraham. God called him to leave 
Ur to go to basically where Israel is today. And God had him dwell for his whole time there in tents, which are temporary dwelling places. It was a sign to Abraham that this was not his home. It was a country God had placed him in because God had a work for him to do. But Abraham, through all of that time, his confidence and his eyes, these eyes in here, were that God had prepared a home for him that was a permanent dwelling in a city that does have foundations. The foundation signifies permanence, stability, strength. Remember the story Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 about the two workmen? who build houses. One builds his house, same house, same design, same materials. One builds it and a storm comes and it's destroyed. The other builds it and a storm comes and it stands. And the difference is one built it on, the foundation was a rock and the other was the foundation was sand. So the foundation determines how you stand in a storm. And Jesus told us what the foundation of the rock was. Those who hear my words and do it. Those who have confidence in my word, they take me at my word. Amen. You ready? Amen. Chapter 5. Paul didn't write this in chapters and verses. This is one long letter, one, one, one idea. For we know that our earthly house, this tent... He's talking about his body. We know that our earthly house, this tent, remember remember Abraham? God had him dwell in tents, a temporary dwelling place that he could detect with his senses. Touch your skin. See, you can detect, that's your tent. It's just like Abraham's tent. For we know that our earthly tent, if our earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building. Notice the contrast. Just as Abraham lived in a tent, but his hope was in a building. If our tent, our body is destroyed, We have a building, a building from God. Your body is your tent in this foreign land. This, what we call life, is a temporary assignment, but eternal life is in here. And that's where we have to learn to focus on more, spend more time thinking about, praying about, meditating on. We spend so much of our time focused on this temporary life, short-lived, subject to change, which will pass away. You have God's Word on it. And invest so little of our time, so little of our energy, so little of our faith in the eternal life that is already in us. But when you begin to renew your mind to what God's Word says, and you realize that your body is a temporary tent with no foundation, only meant to house you while you're here, But when your time in it is done and it gets rolled up or folded up, you're not done because you now move to your building that God has made that has a foundation that cannot be moved. Let's go on because I want to show you why this is so important. For in this, let's go back. We have a building from God, verse 1, a house 
not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, that's in this body, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Paul's talking about himself. You ever just get tired of this life? Just, you look at the news, or you just get worn out with the battles. Paul was. And he's this way because he groan. He says, I've got to deal with this thing. You understand the only temptation to do wrong comes to you through your body. Something you see, something you hear, something you smell, taste, touch, something you think. It's your body you get in trouble with. Now, it can lead to spiritual trouble, but it's your body that Satan... The only avenue in you is through some avenue of your body. And so you just get tired of fighting things. So Paul was. He says, in this temporary dwelling, we groan, longing to be clothed. Now, see, most of us haven't renewed our mind. We want to stay in this thing. We want to stick in it as long as we can because we don't understand what God has for us. I shared with you last week that there's, 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 there's seasons in, in the teachings in the body of Christ. And for years back in the early part of the 20th century, the, all, all the teaching, all the songs, all the music was about when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day it will be. Da, 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 and all it was all about heaven, but very little about what we're to do here. So they de- developed a mentality of survival. Just hold on, bear up until we get to heaven, then it's all going to be over. But we're here on an assignment. God moved Abraham to the land that he wanted him in and put him in the tents. So there's work to do. There's victories in this life that we can have. But what's happened is we've gone to the other extreme and the teaching of the church has been so much on what we have here, what our rights are here, and what our responsibilities and authority is here. We've forgotten. We've lost a perspective that our ultimate place is how we know we're going to go to heaven when we die. Yeah, but Paul lived every day with that as his focus. We're talking about getting ready for his return. Paul lived every day with that was his focus. And we spent too little time talking about it. And that's why I believe God wants us to, to go back and spend some time on it right now. <clears throat> okay. Now notice this. this is, we're going to see why this is so important to where we live. Verse 3, for if, for indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, he's talking about when you die, you're going to go somewhere. You don't just stop existing. For we who are in this tent, this body, groan, being burdened because we don't want to be unclothed, but further clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Notice he doesn't consider this mortal life compared to what eternal life is like. Every once in a while in prayer, I've had a little glimpse of what I believe is eternal life. And I'm telling you, my, my tired, because what was it, the last time it happened, I was in here, I was just, you know, God, please give me the strength to, you know, to, to go through tomorrow and had a busy schedule and Lord, my body's tired, you know, and all that. And I got a taste of that eternal life and I'm telling you, it energized my body so much. See, we walk around so much, and I'm, a, I've got, I'm talking, preaching to me now, aware of how my body feels. And we, listen, listen to how you talk. How, how often do you say how tired you are? How often do you talk about how you feel? You're talking about your body. You're talking about your, your, your temporary tent. How often do you go around talking about how you f- are on the inside? So Paul says, this outward man's perishing. I know that. It's the inward man. So instead of saying how tired you are, see, you are not your body. I'm going to say that to this group over here. You are not your body. I'll say this group. You are not your body. That means you can talk to your body. Paul says this outward man as if it wasn't him. This outward man. is decaying. But the real me, the inward man, is renewed day by day. That's how we should be talking. Whether my body's tired or not, my inner man's renewed day by day. I'm stronger today than I was yesterday. Eternal life is in me. You talk that way for a little while, you watch how your outer man feels. 
See, every time you talk about how you feel, guess who always hears you? You do. You're a captive audience. For we long, we do not, verse 4, we do, we're while in this tent we groan being fully bring burdened, but not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that this mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very thing is God. God didn't prepare us to dwell in this thing forever. He who prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So God, knowing we need our senses to reassure us, put the spirit, His Spirit in us as a guarantee of this eternal home that's waiting for us. Now, I can tell you legally that a guarantee is like a deposit. It's like a down payment. If you've ever bought a house or, or a car or something like that, and, you're, and unless you're going to pay the full amount in cash, you're going to pay it over time, they want a down payment or deposit. And the purpose for that deposit or down payment is so that they know you mean what you say. Because if there's no money in it, they know you've not made a real commitment. But when you've taken 10% of that and you've given them that 10% as a guarantee, that means they know you're serious about it. Second thing about a guarantee is the guarantees always of the same thing you're gonna, of what the rest of what you're going to give. So when you don't give them 10 10% of the value of that house in cabbage or wood. They want money because they want the other 90% in money. So the guarantee that God's put in us is the Holy Spirit. He's just a deposit. He's just a deposit of what's to come. Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about this grace in which we stand by faith. And he says, we glory in that grace, but we also glory in tribulations. He has the same mentality. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces something. What does it produce? Patience, steadfastness, not quitting. And steadfastness produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. Now, hope in the Bible is not like hope in English, which I hope so. It's a confident, steadfast assurance. So, proven character produces in us a confident, steadfast assurance. And then it goes on to say, and hope does not disappoint. For the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. What that verse is saying, I believe it means, yes, God's put His love in us so we can give that love. But I believe in the context of the discussion there, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying here is God has proven His love to us by putting a deposit of that love in us when He put the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is just a deposit of tangible evidence of the love that God has for us. Say, well, I don't really experience much of the Holy Spirit. That's probably because you don't truly believe He's in there. Just like you don't truly believe He is, and He's a rewarder. But as you grow in faith, you read the Scriptures, you study the Scriptures, you meditate on them, you will grow in that faith. All right, one last thing here. Okay. That being fully clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepares for this... Okay, verse 6. For we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent for the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Being confident, we are confident, yes, well pleased, and rather to be absent from body, to be present in the Lord. Now, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to show you something of why this is so important to us. Because most of us are bound by our bodies. Our body governs us. It governs our thinking. It governs our feeling. It governs what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. And we need to be free of it. Use it for what it's for, but not worship it, not love it, not be, not be led by it. 
because it's not who you are. It's a tent. I won't ask how many of you ever go camping, but when you're done with your tent, what do you do with it? You put it away because you're done with it. You don't worship it. You know, you may patch things up and do repairs and things like that on it, but it's just a tent that you use when you go camping to sleep in. That's what your body is. It's just a tent. Now, because you're living it for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, that's a long time here, but compared to eternity, it's like an overnight camping trip. I mean, think about it, because again, we don't think in terms of eternity. But that's what Paul's talking about. Your time in that body, compared to eternity, is like a quick overnight, it may be like a half hour visit. To a tent. How much would you spend on that tent, if that's all you ever spent in it, and all you ever did in it? You ready? Hebrews chapter 2. Because what holds us is our fear of losing that thing. Verse 14. Then inasmuch as children have partaken of flesh and blood, He Himself likewise, Jesus, shared in the same. He took on flesh. He took on a body, a tent. That through death, the death of that body, He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. When Jesus died on that cross, He destroyed the power of death. Now walk, look at why that's so important. And release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. This scripture says that the root of all bondage, fear, depression, all of those things that are bondage, alcohol, drugs, are all ultimately rooted in the fear of dying. And what is dying? To a Christian... Taking the tent off. And we're so afraid of losing that tent that it becomes a source of the devil's bondage in our lives, who through all their life, through the fear of death, were held in bondage. And Jesus took on a tent of flesh. So that on that cross, that tent of flesh could die and pay the price for the sins you and I committed in our tents, in our bodies. And by that, he could destroy the power of Satan. Because the power of Satan over your life comes through the power of sin. And when that sin was paid for, by the death of his body, the sin that you've committed in your body was also paid for. And through that payment, God delivered Satan's right to hold you. Colossians 1.13 says you were, not will be when you get to heaven, you were delivered from the domain, the authority, the power of darkness, and you were, not will be when you get to heaven. The real you, not that tent, the real you was transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So while you're still in that body, you're here on assignment, just as Abraham was in his tent on assignment in that land. 
But that tent was not his home. That tent was not his permanent dwelling. That tent was not his hope. That tent was not his future. That tent was not his security. That tent was not his well-being. That tent was not his joy. That tent was not his anything of God. That tent was his place of temporary assignment. And when the time was done, he was willing to take the tent bar apart, shed it and walk away because he knew he had something waiting for him. An eternal weight of glory far beyond any comparison and that is yours and that is mine but it's walked in by faith it's yours today it's waiting for you today it's been waiting for you all along but until we renew this mind to think the way Paul thought and to talk the way Paul talked and to have a perspective the way Paul has a perspective, we're going to do what the world does. The world's trying to hold on to this desperately because they don't know what happens when it's gone. They can't see what you and I see because that faith can only be in there once you've received Christ and the Spirit of God in you because things, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, verse chapter 2 says that we understand these things by faith not through our reasoning so get ready the day of rejoicing is coming says he's coming back for those who are eagerly waiting his return and when he returns the Bible says you're going to lay aside what's mortal and you're going to be clothed with what is immortal. For this mortal must, body must put off the, immo- the mortal in order to put on immortality. My brother and sister, that's our hope. That's our future. That's where our eyes have to be. Yes, there are things to do here, but we need to learn to live our life with the confidence in that. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens as you build your faith in the promises of God of what is to come.